and 10, 9, 8, Hi there, this is Darren Spoon, 7, pastor 6, at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, 5, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person. So Sunday artists are, let's give them a word, let's say artists are persnickety, or at least artists have the reputation for being persnickety. I'm talking about musical artists, I need to apologize to our music team. Uh, performing artists, actors and actresses, and uh, people who are in the visual arts. I'm not saying artists are persnickety, they just have the reputation for being persnickety. Case in point, there's a man by the name of Anish Kapoor. He is a British-born Indian sculptor, and Anish Kapoor owns the rights to a color. It is considered to be the world's blackest black, and he owns the patent to this color, that absorbs 99.965% of all visible light, and only Anish Kapoor can use this color. No other artist on the planet can use this blackest black. Well, as you can imagine, Anish Kapoor and his decision to hold a monopoly on this black did not sit well with the rest of the artistic community, particularly a man by the name of Stuart Semple, another artist. And Stuart Semple developed what's called the world's pinkest pink. And he's made it available to all other artists on the planet except Anish Kapoor. And in fact, if you go onto Stuart Semple's website and buy a, a container of the world's pinkest pink for use in art, before you check out, you'll be asked to consent to this statement. Here it is. By adding this product to your cart, you confirm that you are not Anish Kapoor that you are in no way affiliated with Anish Kapoor, that you are not purchasing this item on behalf of Anish Kapoor or an associate of Anish Kapoor. And to the best of your knowledge, information, and belief, this paint will not make its way into the hands of Anish Kapoor. Did I use the word persnickety here just a little bit ago? Well, in the Older Testament, the quintessential prophet was a man by the name of Elijah. Uh, generations would look back and say, Elijah, that's the way a person follows God. But not only is Elijah considered to be the quintessential prophet, in the Bible he's often looked upon as the quintessential picture of depression. It seemed like that he held the copyright to the blackest of black mental states, but unfortunately he's not the only one to ever experienced that. And we're going to see it here in just a minute. You're going to see all the signs of depression. You're going to see the loss of appetite and the loss of motivation and the excessive self-pity. But let me say two things that are very important from the get-go about depression before we walk with Elijah through what he experiences. First of all, for those of you who deal with or have dealt with depression, depression does not mean you lack faith. A person can have very deep emotions, but it does not mean that you have a shallow faith. The second thing I would say is to those of you who have never experienced depression before, it's easy to put off an area of superiority and say, well, they just need to get over it. They need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I've heard people say that before, then they themselves went into this time of depression and they came out the other side and they said, I had no idea. I will never say that again. Just because something is not in your realm of personal experience doesn't mean it isn't real, okay? And so we even see this man, Elijah, a man of great faith who deals 
with a very dark depression. And so we're looking at seven people in the Bible who said, God, I've, I've had it, I've had enough, anxiety's too much, would you just take away my life? Elijah is one of them. So before we jump into Second uh, Kings, excuse me, 1 Kings 19, what I want to do is set this up. Elijah just comes off one of the highest highs, literally. On Mount Carmel, he has a showdown. He is a representative of God, and he has a showdown with all these prophets of Baal. Now, why would God's people, the Jewish people, not worship God alone? In fact, the first two commandments is, have no other gods before me and make yourself no idols. Why would God's people not obey that? Well, because of security. Uh, because of wanting to make sure you have all your bases covered. In an agrarian society, you are one year away from a famine at all times. And so people were wanting to to make sure that they had covered all their bases. And yeah, we'll worship Yahweh, but we'll also worship Baal too because this God promises fertility for our crops and our cattle and our children. So let's make sure we get all the bases covered, right? And Elijah said, if you really believe in God, then you're willing to put all your marbles in on him and forget about anything that's false. And so Elijah has this huge showdown with hundreds of prophets of Baal. That's a message in and of its own self right there. And Elijah comes out on top. So how could he, after such a high, high experience, such a low, low? Well, let's go back to our earlier idea of artists being persnickety. How many performing artists do we know that experience the high of a stage, but then only go back to crumple beneath the darkness of their own personal hell. In fact, um, you know, many, many artists are known for taking their own lives. They shine bright, but their personal lives are dark. And we're not just talking about performing artists. It's all of us. We're capable of that. So after this incredible bright spot, Elijah sinks into this low, dark place. This is 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel, everything Elijah done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So who are these people? Well, Ahab is the king of Israel, and he's a pretty weak character. He has no moral backbone. Jezebel, his wife, and you just hear that name Jezebel, you know she stands for no good, right? She is the amoral force behind the throne. It's interesting. Uh, from 1950, statistical analysis was done. From 1950, to 2012, there were 94 recorded hurricanes. Those who were named after males and those who were named after females, those storms were compared, and it seems that the female storms killed more people than the male storms. And then the question was asked, why? Well, it seems a male storm seems to be more threatening and and more ominous, right? And so people will take more precautions, but, but a female name sounds more passive. And what what harm could they do, right? And so people don't take adequate precautions against storms named after females and more damage is done. Well, Jezebel was a storm all of her own. And she was about to pull, push the full weight of her force down upon Elijah. So Jezebel, verse 2, sent a messenger to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of theirs. She gives Elijah 24 hours 
to leave town. She knows where he is. She sends a messenger. You got 24 hours to leave or I will kill you. And then it says this, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. So here we're about to see Elijah degenerate, spiral down into a deep, dark depression. And here's what happens. When he came to Beersheba, and by the way, I, I want to note, uh, this is not a geography lesson today, but, but here if you have the, the nation of Israel, the very top is Dan. That's the northernmost city. At the very bottom is Beersheba, okay? So it would be like us saying, you know, if we wanted to talk about um, the United States, we would say, you know, from coast to coast, from L.A. to New York. Well, in the Bible, you often hear from Dan to Beersheba. So Elijah goes, I find it interesting that he goes south. He gets just about as far south as you can go without leaving Israel. He gets really low. So I want to ask a question here. And I asked this question last week with a, with a different word, and I'm going to ask it again in another way. So last week I asked, is there something you're consistently doing that causes anxiety to go up in your life? And we talked about several things that we, we do, if we just stop and think about it. If I do this, my anxiety goes up. Well, don't do those things. So let me ask this question uh, and change the words just a little bit. Is there something you consistently do that causes you to spiral down into depression? Is there something in your control that you are doing that causes you, doesn't cause your anxiety to go up, it causes you to spiral down into depression? Can I mention a few? Social media might be one of those triggers for you. Listen, I, I wish I could say I'm all pious. I've shut down all my social media accounts. What I do, I do through the church's social media accounts. I'd like to say it was for holy purposes that I did that. And, and you know, part of it is I just wanted to keep a cleaner mind. But here's the truth. I'm an envious person. That, that's something that I wrestle with. I am a petty envious person. And if I see somebody else having more fun than I am, I don't like them. I mean, if you want to know my real person, that's who I am. That's the sin I wrestle with, right? And so, for my own mental health and not to feel down, I completely got off social media. And I'm not telling you to do that, although I will say, come on in, the water's fine. Maybe you need to moderate your social media because as you consume too much of it, it causes you to spiral down into a state of depression. You may self-medicate. That may be something in your control. Now, I said last week, if you need help with medications, please do that. Find a reputable doctor. Self-medicating is another matter. And sometimes we do it by going to Dr. Green. Sometimes we medicate uh, through prescription drugs. Uh, too many prescription drugs or alcohol. Listen, this is a big deal in our culture. We all know this. There are people in our church who self-medicate every single day. What happens is that depression will not go away. That problem will still be there. Temporarily, you'll have a little bit of a break, but it's going to come back on the other side when that medication or the alcohol wears off, and it's going to come back with interest, okay? That may be another thing that you're consistently doing that is causing you greater depression. Please get some help. 
Uh, I'll mention isolation here again because it causes isolation causes our anxiety to go up and it causes our depression to dig down deeper. I want to make you a, a, an offer for those of you who continue to watch only online. I'm starting a new community group on June 5th. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall at 9:45 on Sunday mornings. Uh, part of what we're going to do in that study, I'm going to lead it for six weeks, and we're going to go through this book, learning to tell myself the truth. This book really helped me at one point in dealing with anxiety. And anxiety is kind of the trigger of so many other things. It can lead to anger and anxiety and depression and perfectionism. So let me encourage you, if you're continuing to watch only online, join me in this small group on Sunday morning, 945 Fellowship Hall. This book is going to cost you $20, but it's worth a whole lot more than that. I'm inviting you to get out of your isolation and to push back against anxiety and depression. There is a way out, but you've got to make the move. Another thing that might cause your anxiety to consistently uh, go up and, your, and cause you to go deeper down in depression is um, an over-focus on your circumstance and being too focused on yourself, right? Excessive self-pity. And that's exactly what we see Elijah do here. Notice how many times he uses the word I in, in this. Uh, he went to Beersheba, to Judah. He left his servant there. Again, he goes into isolation while he himself went a, journey, a day's journey into the wilderness. Elijah came to a broom tree and sat down and prayed that he might die. God, I've had enough. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he fell down under the bush and fell asleep. Focus on his own circumstances, on himself, excessive self-pity drove him deeper down into this state of depression. In Mumbai, India, they've established some no-selfie zones. And in fact, one Washington Post article says that in the last couple of years, about 250 people have been killed while taking selfies mostly while they're driving or when they're near the edge of a cliff or when they're in water. When we focus on ourselves, it becomes dangerous and it becomes deadly. So how did Elijah get out of this, right? This is the hope we need. And so far in the message, I've just taken you down, 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 down. Okay, here we're at the bottom. I've had enough. Take my life, Lord. I am no better than my ancestors. By the way, what he means by that is all my ancestors are dead, and yeah, I'm making just about as much difference as they are right now. Okay? So this is in the middle of verse 5. At once, and he fell asleep. An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. So he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back to him a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. So I want to talk about some physical things here, and then we'll talk about the spiritual things. You would not dream with your car of expecting it to run if you did not put gas and oil in it. Unless, of course, you have an electric car. Different matter. But the old combustible, en combustible engine, you would not expect it to run unless you put in the right fuel and the right lubricant. Listen, we are spiritual people, and we have a physical body. 
and those physical and spiritual components are deeply connected, why would we expect our spirit to function properly if we don't take care of ourselves physically? We need the fuel of good food. We need the lubricant of sleep and exercise to keep things running as we should. I'm not trying to give you health advice. I'm just asking you to have this moment of common sense. Here's a moment where Elijah is at a spiritual low point, and the first thing God does is he takes care of his physical needs. Isn't that beautiful? And he takes care of them in some very miraculous ways. By the way, I think one of the most spiritual things that you can do is take a nap. NASA has recently come out, they've done a study, and they said the ideal nap lasts 26 minutes, so maybe you just need to rest and eat some nutritious food and get moving and allow God to refresh your spirit by first starting to refresh your body. Then, strengthened by this physically, he makes a spiritual pilgrimage to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, here's where I really want to sit on for just a moment. The similarities between Elijah, who we're looking at this week, and Moses, who we looked at last week. So Moses was the lawgiver. Elijah was the law enforcer. He was trying to get people to worship only one God and to have no idols. Moses spent 40 years in the desert. Elijah spent 40 days crossing the desert. Moses was sustained by manna here. Elijah was sustained by food for this journey. Moses asked at one point, God, I want to see you. And so he went into a cave, into a cleft of the rock, and it's believed to be the same cave that Elijah goes back to. And here's the greatest benefit of depression. Depression may be the very tool God uses to spark in you that desire to encounter Him, to finally get to that point where you say, I cannot handle life on my own I must see God. By the way, I think this is really cool. Jesus, when he reached a low point in his life, he was getting ready to go to the cross. He goes to the Mount of Transfiguration. There he, he changes in his appearance, and two people appear next to him, Moses and Elijah. Isn't it interesting that two people during their lives, they ask God to take their life and now they're talking to Jesus who is about to give his life. I don't know what to make of all that yet, but I do know that depression is a tool that God can use to bring us to himself. So Elijah goes to Mount Horeb, and this is one of the most beautiful scenes of meeting with God in the entire Bible. Verse nine, and the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? By the way, great question. What are you doing here? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Here I come. Then... A great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came 
a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I want to stop here for just a moment because, again, there's some similarities here between Moses and Elijah that all the things God did in Moses' day, the wind that parted the Red Sea, the earthquake that swallowed up God's enemies, uh, the fire that led the Israelites through the desert, all those tools, the earth, wind, and fire, and yes, I guess God does love 70s music, all that happened again, but God was not in any of them telling us that maybe the way God's worked in the past is not the way He's going to work in the present. God never does anything always except love us. So the way God worked in the past is maybe not going to be the same way He works in the present because I'm sure Elijah would love to have a big wind come through and change things and open a new way. I'm sure he would love to have a fire lead him. I'm sure he would love to have an earthquake come and swallow Jezebel up, but that's not going to happen. God's working in a new way and... Instead of moving in spectacular ways, maybe God is going to work in some simple ways. He came to him in a gentle whisper. I am absolutely convinced. We live in a loud world, don't we? And if we're going to be children of God in this time, I believe his voice will be heard only by those who for a while are still and quiet and listen. As a part of this anxiety study we're going to do on Sunday morning in a few weeks, I'm going to be teaching with this something called contemplative prayer. You know, I wonder, we, we talk to God so much, you know, we have so many words, we come to Him with our request, we hurry in and hurry out, and I wonder if God's just going, well, I had some things to say, and you, you didn't listen. Contemplative prayer is just taking time a few times a day to be still to be fully present where you are, to understand that God is present right there in the room with you, and then you just listen. It's listening prayer. And I wonder how much of our anxiety would dissolve or how many of our problems would be put in perspective if every day, for just a short time, we listen to God. And then we'll learn how to listen to Him all day, every day, that we continue to experience His presence, whatever the pressures may be. And as Elijah heard this still, small voice of God, maybe God is not going to be working in some spectacular ways. Maybe He's going to work in our lives in simple ways by practicing the present moment, practicing the presence of God, and practicing the presence of people. Verse 14, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He has his speech. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altar. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So the Lord said, go back. Go back the way you came. There's, there's been an interesting study done on complaint in the Bible, and we can talk about Ruth and Jeremiah and Moses and, and here uh, Elijah seems whenever somebody complained to God, He didn't answer. <laughs> it's just kind of the nature of, yeah, okay, I've heard you. Now, here's what I want you to do. And I think that's a great example of, you know, sometimes we want our feelings to change 
And once our feelings change, then our actions will change. Now, the way it often works is God calls us to change our actions and our feelings will follow. So God doesn't answer Elijah's complaint, he said, and maybe giving Elijah a job is the answer. I still have something for you to do. So regardless of how you feel, I want you to be obedient to me. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, now all this is going to seem strange to you, but just, just hang on. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. By the way, Aram was an enemy of Israel. So I want you to go to the enemies, and I want you to anoint and appoint a king. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, to replace um, Jezebel and Ahab. Oh boy, that's not going to go over well. And then anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maloah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elijah will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So God gives Elijah some simple things to do. He gives him something to do internationally by going to Aram. He gives him something to do nationally by appointing a new king of Israel. And he gives him something to do spiritually. None of these in and of themselves are spectacular. They're rather simple. But what do we do? One foot up, one foot down, that's the way to London town. We do the next right thing. And by the way, God says, you know, Elijah, you might need to get over yourself because there's 7,000 more just like you who I have been holding in reserve. They're still out there. You may not know them, but they are there. So I had this interesting little train of thought this, this week. I, first, I came across a great illustration to end with that you take a, a, a can of Coke, if you have a swimming pool outside, or, you know, if you don't, go to your neighbor's swimming pool. Take a can of Coke, throw it in. That can of Coke's going to sink straight to the bottom. Then you take a can of Diet Coke, throw it in the pool. Guess what? It's going to float. Same volume, same kind of container. The only difference is the substance inside of it. Coke has sugar, and Diet Coke has, has a sugar substitute. And because of what's inside, one sinks, the other floats. You see the parable there? It's not about the circumstances around us. It's about what or who is inside of us. I invite you today to have Jesus in your life, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And when life wants to suck you down, you continue to be buoyant, not because of your circumstance, but because of who Christ is. And that story kind of mentally tagged another story. This is not a swimming pool. This is an ocean. Oceanographers use uh, a a round submarine called a bathosphere. Bathos means deep in Greek. And so this round vessel can go down to the deepest parts of the ocean, and that extreme pressure won't crush it because it has a steel plating several inches thick. But when the bathosphere gets down to the ocean floor and it kicks on its lights, it sees these little subtle fish that are darting around in the deep. Thin fish, thin-skinned. They've learned how to create a pressure in themselves equal and opposite to the depths of the ocean, and so that's how they keep the ocean depths from crushing them. You know what? In a loud pressure cooker world, you can either develop 
a thick skin. Or you can have some substance inside of you that is equal to or greater than the pressure that wants to crush. Oh, listen, we, we've had it again this week. More bad news from Ukraine. School shootings in Texas. The election cycle is heating up again. Southern Baptist controversies emerging. There's so much pressure, and we can develop a thick skin, a calloused soul, or we can have somebody in our lives who is in us that helps us stand up under all of these pressures. And I believe that someone wants us to hear his still small voice. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you're all alone. Say yes to him. If you do have Jesus in your life, you need to remember that he is more real than any of these things outside. That he is king of the universe and king of your life, and he has you. And so here's the memory verse I'm going to give you this week. Uh, you know, Elijah went down to Beersheba. He got low. Memory verse I'm going to ask you to put in your heart and mind and, and to use as a reminder of God's reality. It's Psalm 121, 1 and 2. These are songs of ascent, songs of going up. As the Israelites would go to Jerusalem every year, they would go up to Jerusalem. They'd have to literally go up in elevation to go to the temple. And they had these songs of ascent as they were going up. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That entire psalm is worth memorizing, but especially those first two lines. That God is your creator that God is your Savior, and God is your sustaining presence. God, I pray over every person who hears this message, particularly those who deal with depression, thank you that deep emotions are not a sign of weak faith, but we need to deal with these emotions, and perhaps you've even given this depression as a very unusual gift, and I'm hesitant to call it that, but maybe it's what we need to seek you, to listen to your still small voice, and that when we get low, we can lift up our eyes and remember where our help comes from, that our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. Now may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.